You're listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry at First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarvale, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarvale, Kansas, 67024. If you've got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 17. We are continuing our study through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17. Um, The culture that we live in and the world that we live in is constantly looking for and longing for the latest and greatest information. We want the latest news, the greatest thing, the most um, mind-blowing experiences. We want the, the latest and the greatest. We always are wanting to know the newest gadgets, what they are, and as soon as I buy, or as soon as you buy the, the latest cellular device, the latest cellular phone, um, give it just a few months, they're going to come out and say, listen, that one's obsolete, we've got a new one, right? Just as soon as you get a new phone, just a couple of months later, these companies come back and say, listen, that one you've got, that was an old one, you need a better one. Here's the newest, the latest and the greatest. And what do we do? We rush out, we race out, and we go grab the latest and greatest gadget. We want The latest and greatest things. Amen? We want to know everything. We have 24-hour, seven-day-a-week news. um, So we don't miss the latest and and the the most breaking news. Um, In fact, you can even get on these cellular devices, you can get that breaking news to notify you. And you can set up your notifications so they can bleep you in the middle of the night. Blink! And just wake you up. Oh, look! Something happened in the world. And so we can know the latest and greatest information and we're never missing out on anything. And so um, we're we're set and that's that's the world we live in. But what's funny is that we we think we're the first ones to come up with these things. We're the first ones to come up with these ideas, the most sophistication, the most, uh, you know, erudite, sophisticated things. We're, we're it. We know it all. Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9 says, What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. That's the truth. There's nothing new under the sun. Every generation thinks that they are the ones who discover and understand all the mysteries of the world, the latest and greatest things. We, we think we're it. And furthermore... Not only that, we want to be the people who find out the information first. How many of you guys love it when you are the first one to find out information or news? Find out the latest. Oh, me? I, we want to know. And if we don't know, we want to get in groups to find out, whoa, did you hear? What's the latest news? Did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? We want to be the first ones to find out and hear the latest information of the day. Well, in Paul's day, they were doing the exact same thing. So, so we're going to see from the text today that Paul, um, what, what's happening in Athens, Paul goes down to Athens and while he's there, um, he, he's waiting, in, waiting for Silas and the brothers to, be, uh, to meet up with him. And as he's sitting there, um, he's listening 
to what's going on and he sees all that's going on. He's, he's observing the world around him. And as he's waiting for Silas and the brothers to show back up so they can continue their missionary journey, um, Paul has this moment in verse 16 of Acts chapter 17. And it says, Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. Now, listen. There's going to be times and there's going to be places where you've, you hear things, you hear things talked about, you see things taking place, and there's going to be times as a believer, your spirit will be provoked. Anybody in the room ever had their spirit provoked where you see something taking place in the world around you and you hear a conversation and your spirit is provoked? Anybody? Am I the only one? Got a couple, right, Steve's back there, got a couple. There's things that are taking place. You hear things talked about. Like if I'm, at, if I'm in this grocery store, if I'm at the park, if I'm different place, wherever I'm at, and I hear someone talking about something taking place in the world, sometimes my spirit is provoked in such a way that I can't help but inter- insert myself into that conversation. Anybody else insert themselves in conversation sometimes? I have done that. I was at the park one time. This poor lady was... Um, that she was, had been approached by the Latter-day Saints, the, the, the Mormon missionaries. And this poor lady didn't know up from down. She just, they were telling her all this stuff. And so I just inserted myself into the conversation. Hey, guys, how are you? We're good, sir. We're talking. I know you're talking to this lady, but I want to know. I want to know what you're talking. I knew what they were talking about, but I wanted to know. My spirit was provoked because I was like, listen, I, you ain't going to try to convert this poor lady. Like, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some prayer shot blocking. I'm gonna I'm gonna run inter, I'm gonna run interference and defense on this and protect this poor woman's soul because you're crazy and you want to try to hurt her. They don't know that they think they're doing the right thing. But so we entered it an hour and a half later. They said, "Listen, we've got to go have dinner." I said, "I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do." Um, but but sometimes there there's gonna be times where your spirit's gonna be convicted and you're gonna be. You feel it necessary to enter, insert yourself into um, the conversation. And dear Christian, there are going to be times to stand up and to speak up. We are going to, there are going to be places and seasons in your life where you're going to have to stand up and speak up for what is right according to the Bible, even if that costs you in your personal life, even if that costs you um, in your social currency. The culture today is not much different than these days. The culture that you and I live in today in 2022 is not any more different than it was in the days of Paul at Athens. We have we are no more sinful today than we than they were back in those days. We just have more to be sinful with. We just have more we have stuff that's right at our fingertips. We have access to things right now. We're no more sinful than they were back then. We just have more to be sinful with. We have more access to things to be able to be sinful. Nevertheless, we are to stand up and speak against sin and wickedness when it rears its ugly head in the world today. So Paul, he's got a conviction. His spirit is stirred in this moment. And so he begins to to talk. He says, my spirit's been convicted because I see the city is full of idols. So do this. Paul's conviction, he opens his mouth and he begins to converse with those that are in Athens. Verse 17. So he reasoned with them in the synagogues 
with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. Some of the Epicureans and the the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what is this babbler wish to say? What is this babbler wish to say? I know that some of you all probably think that sometimes about me, but um, there's... They said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, oh, he seems to be a preacher of a foreign deity. A foreign, a foreign deity. Because he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. These educated, sophisticated people were baffled by the message of Christ. They looked at, at Paul and said, this guy's babbling? What is, he, what is he saying? So they never heard this message before. They didn't know how to take Paul. At first, they, they did not, they didn't want to discount what he said because it seemed new to them. And this culture was very, it was very popular in this culture um, to, to go after the latest and greatest information. Like I said, just like our culture today, we want to know the latest and greatest information. That, that's, that's exactly what our society is. Like we'll read, we'll, we'll read more here in a second about this, but, but some thought he was talking about foreign gods or some type of a deity because he talked about Christ and the resurrection. In the culture we live in today, all of the time we're interested in hearing about um, people like um, T.D. Jakes or Joel Osteen or all these big popular preachers. So people want to know what's their latest book about. I mean, they're on the New York Times bestseller list. People download this stuff by just, just tons of it. And because they present a message that is not, it's not a gospel-centered message, but rather it's an intellectual, religious, or philosophical idea about the person of Jesus and how Jesus can do something to make you the next best version of you that you could possibly be. So the message is, doesn't come out um, listen, you need to die to your sins and yourself and repent and follow Christ. Rather, it's become a better version of you and, and you can accomplish your dreams. You can be a better you. You can do this. You can do that. And so this, this, this group of people in Athens, this is what they were doing, trying to get to the next best version of themselves by having intellectual conversations in these places. And, and so this is, this is the same type of stuff that's being preached Today and in Paul's day. So there's nothing new. It's just taking on a little bit different shape. We've got a little bit. We've got the the celebrity complex. But they had celebrity stuff happening even in this day. People who were following certain people, certain leaders, especially in Athens. Athens was this. It was the hub of all intellectual smart people. Anybody that was anybody was in Athens. And so we'll continue here in verse 19. They're talking to Paul after he's, what's this babbler saying? Verse 19, then they took him and brought him to a meeting of Aragopius where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreign, foreigners who lived there spent all their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So this is, this is what they did. This is how they spent their days. They're interested. Listen, 
Here's what they wanted. They weren't interested in knowing about Jesus himself. Rather, they were interested to to know the things about Jesus and how to get access to the stuff of Jesus rather than Christ himself. And this is the same type of problem that we have in the modern day Christianity is that we don't truly want Christ. We want Christ's stuff. Let's go back to this idea. So when I was a kid, dad would go on business trips. And when dad would go on business trips, he would always bring David and I back something from wherever he was. And so when dad came back, we would be so excited and bouncing up and down. Not because dad's home and I just get to see my dad and I get to hug my dad, but dad, where's my stuff? Did you bring me a surprise? Anybody else experience that same thing? You guys nodding your head back here. When, when young kids come in the room, they're like, Dad, did you, where's, my prize? where's my prize? Where's my surprise? Where's my surprise? Where's my surprise? Not interested in seeing the man. We're interested in seeing his stuff. We're interested in seeing Dad's stuff. I'd be so excited to see Dad. Not because I really truly missed him. I might have missed him a little bit, but I didn't really truly miss him. Rather, I wanted the prizes or the surprises that he would bring with him. And this is how so many people are with Jesus. We want his stuff. We want his blessings. We want his authority. But we really aren't interested in just being present with him. We're not just, being, we're not just interested in being in his presence. How, how, how many times have you guys heard somebody say something like this? Oh, pastor, I need a word. I, I need a word. Why do you need a word? Man, my life's rough right now. I need a word from the Lord. Well, you've got a word from the Lord. It's right here. You don't need anything else. You've got a word from the Lord. There's 66 books of a word from the Lord. You just need to take time to dive in and, and, and digest it and study it and be a part of it. What happens, though, is that we're, we're looking for the stuff of God rather than God himself. But that's all throughout history. People have wanted the things of Jesus. Like, Jesus had a massive popular following for for quite a bit of his ministry. Why? Because he was doing signs and wonders. He was doing miracles. He was healing. Man, I got to come in here and get my healing. My back hurts. I got to. And man, think about it. These these miracle crusades that they have. These all these miracle televangelist healers who get on the on the TV and have these giant healing ceremonies where you've got tens of thousands of people in an auditorium why are they there are they there because they want to they long to see and know the god of the universe and be present with him or are they looking for my i'm looking for my miracle people say that man i'm looking for my next breakthrough i'm looking for my next miracle so you want the stuff of jesus but you don't want jesus himself oh woe to us as a generation who do that we're looking for the stuff of god rather than God himself. And this is exactly what the people of Athens were doing. They were interested in the philosophical, sophisticated ideas of what Paul was talking about, but they were not willing to submit their lives to Christ. They did not, they did not want that, but that didn't deter Paul. He continues in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Aragopias, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that every, in every way that you are very religious. For I have passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with an inscription to the unknown God. 
What therefore you worship as unknown, this is what I proclaim to you. So the idea, a little history, in this area, there was a whole wall that had carvings and had little places where there was there were idols, there were, there were different gods, there were different things to be worshipped and people would go there and they would pray to them, they'd leave gifts, they'd leave a, a form of worship and there was just a full wall of every kind of god you could think of. It's just, it was just a huge wall of idols. And so Paul, he says, listen, I know you guys are religious, I could see that because you've got a giant wall with every form and type of God. Now, just in case they missed one, because, well, you know, we're humans, we could miss one. They put, in, they put one that was empty with an inscription to the God, we don't know who it is. We don't want to miss him, her, it, whatever, you know. Got to be pronoun specific here, good grief. So they, they've, got, they've got the setup here on the wall and the inscription to the God, we don't know who he is. To the unknown God, just in case we miss one, we'll go there. So Paul says, okay, we're going to run with that. So that one you don't know who he is, I'm going to preach him to you right now. I'm going to tell you who he is. What therefore you worship as unknown, this is what I proclaim to you. So Paul sees in the city walls these altars. And he says, I'm going to proclaim to you the one true God who made all of this. Verse 24. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and of earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now, I just want you guys to see this. These gods were so puny and so worthless and so silly that they have to have human beings make them feed them, take care of them, and put them in a place of worship. That's a puny God. That's a puny God. That is a worthless God. And so what Paul does is he uses creation. He goes into the idea of creation at Romans chapter 1. Through creation and conscience, all men know that there is a God. So they knew that there was a God, they just were worshiping a false idol. So he uses creation as this. I'll never forget one year we were in Lake City, Colorado. Gabe was nine or ten. Nine or ten. And he was in the park in the midst. Like If you've ever been to Lake City, it's just a gorgeous town center. And there's this huge park right in, smack dab in the middle of the, of the town. And all around you is mountains. 360, you've got mountains all the way around you. It's just this gorgeous, gorgeous place. And Gabe's playing with some of these kids. And in the conversation while they're playing, the kid says, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. Little kid. I don't believe in God. Gabe, passionate about this, is meant, runs up to me and says, Dad, I need the keys to the van. Nine-year-old key to the van that could go bad. I don't, yeah, okay, what do you need? Uh, Dad, I need my Bible. Well, okay, fine. So I handed my keys. He ran, I said, make sure to lock it back. Ran up. Got the Bible, ran back to this kid, opens his, I don't know where you open it to, but opens the word and starts proclaiming, talking about Jesus. He said, listen, I think you may have gone to Genesis, if I remember correctly. He went to Genesis and he said, in the beginning, God created, God made all of this, all of this around you that you see, the beauty of the mountains. There's a God who loves you and made this. This is what Paul's doing. Paul has this exact same thing here. He says, listen, the God who made the world and everything in it 
being the Lord of heaven and of earth, doesn't live in, in a place that needs to be built by hands. God's not going to, he doesn't need your hands to build him a temple. He doesn't need that. He is the one who can handle this. Verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places. And why, why is this? Why did he do all this? Verse 27. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. God made human beings and put them where they are, where he wants them. That Listen, God made you and put you where you are for a reason. For his purposes, that they should begin. Like, Listen, they have a beginning date. You and I have a beginning date and an end date. And he's put you in a specific boundary for a reason. Why? Verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So Paul uses creation and then the words of the poets and artists of that day to talk about who God is. This is Christ Jesus. This is Christ Jesus. God cannot be formed or fashioned or created by men. All other gods have been made by men. Every, if you could think of a God, it's been created. We were just talking about it in Sunday school where we've got people that are bowing down and kissing statues of Mary. That's idol worship. Okay, well, we would not do that in a sophisticated, erudite society. Yes, we would. Like, the Catholic faith is just fraught with idol worship. It is fraught with idol worship. Where we want to worship a thing. Where we've got, like, if the tortilla, how many of you guys saw this on the news a few years ago? A tortilla had a shape of Jesus show up and people came and worshiped the tortilla. We giggle, but man, there's people that are serious about this. This is what they were doing in Paul's day. Every other Man made, every other religion has been made by the hands of men. So Paul says, listen, this God, he don't need your hands. He's got his own. In fact, he made your hands. He made your mind. He made the mountains. He made the skies. He made the trees. Those birds you like to watch. Those cattle you're out in the field. He made all of it. He made all of it. The God of the Bible can't be formed or fashioned by men's hands. The only thing that men can do... The only thing that you and I can do with Jesus is fall at his feet and worship him. All other religions outside of a biblical Christianity have been made up by the minds of men. How do we know that? Because you have to do something to appease that God. You've got to work hard. You've got to um, try, 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 try. Man, I hope God, I hope this, my, man, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. And I hope he likes me. I'll try hard. I'll be a good person here. You ask your normal average Joe in the street, what do they think? Who, what do you need to do to go to heaven? I need to, my, man, I hope at the end of the day, my good outweighs my bad. I can promise you, your bad is going to outweigh your good every 110% of the time. Your bad will always outweigh your good. That is not how you get into the presence of God. Your goodness, according to the scriptures, is filthy rags. It's filthy rags in the presence of a holy God. Your good deeds don't add up to squat at the end of the day. What does add up? 
Christ's blood on the cross, God's grace is what gets you in, period. God cannot be formed by the hands of men. They cannot. Why? Or what, why does he do all this? Why did he create all this? So you could see that there's a creation, that you know that there's a God out there and, and that you should seek him. Verse 27, that you should seek God and perhaps feel your way towards him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. Listen, God's not far from you this morning. You're the one who's gone off. He stayed where he was. God's not very far from you. God's word is here to say, listen, you can find your way to him. You can find your way to him. In him we, listen, in the reason you go, you're able to breathe. Let's just do this as an exercise. I know this is fun. Everybody just breathe in really deep. Just That breath you just took in was because God said you can do that. God gave you permission to do that. That's how sovereign and mighty our God is. In him we live and move and have our being. Period. Period. So Paul uses creation. He uses the idea of creation that God, he made everything including you. And listen, he puts you where you are and he gave you a beginning and end date. That's how big our God is. And then he lowers the boom in verse 29. Being that you're God's offspring, since God did make, since God did make you, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the arts or the imaginations of man. Like, you, you, can't, he can't be, you can't form him. You can't put him in stone. You can't make him. You can't do this. You just can't. There's no power in these gods. Anything outside of biblical Christianity is made up by, and made up by the minds of men has no power to bring any type of salvation whatsoever. Rather, the only thing that these kind of religions can do is bring destruction and eternal torment, period. Because like I said a couple weeks ago, Jesus makes an exclusive claim. There is an exclusivity in Christianity. There is no one else that gets in. Jesus said, I am the way, not a way. There's not multiple paths to get into the presence of a merciful God. There is only one way, and his name is Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And then Paul calls them as a result of this. He says, listen, you've created these gods. You're worshiping these idols. Verse 30, the time of ignorance God has overlooked. So he's saying, listen, God's overlooked some of your ignorance here, but we're done with that. But now he's commanded all people everywhere to repent. Tom Askell from Founders Ministry uh, said this last week in an article he wrote, he said, any evangelism that does not include a clear call to repent is not biblical evangelism. I agree 110%. There must be a clear call in our desire to see people follow Christ, that they must repent of their sinfulness. There must be a desire to love Jesus more than they than you and I love our sins. If we don't do this, then we're presenting half a truth. We're only presenting half of the good news. The good news can't be good to those who hear until they understand the bad news first. The bad news is that you're wicked, you deserve God's wrath, and if you're outside of Christ, you will die and spend an eternity in hell. 
I know that that is not a popular message, but it's the truth. As Ben Shapiro says, facts don't care about your feelings. That's the facts. At the end of the day, well, golly, that hurts my feelings, Caleb. Well, at the end of the day, you're going to stand in front of God, and I have a responsibility as your pastor to say, there's coming a day if you don't submit yourself to Christ in repentance and faith, you will be thrown out into utter darkness. That's my job is to tell you that. I'm just a newspaper boy. I didn't write the message. Christ read it, wrote it. I'm just reading it back. Saying, Listen, here's the headline. You're a wretch, but Jesus can save you. Whew, come on. You're a wretch, but Jesus can save you. The first sermon... Look, okay. Thomas Watson once said, the first, in, the first sermon of Christ preached... Indeed, the first words he preached was repentance. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. He calls men to repent. Matthew 4, 17. And his farewell address, when he left, when he was ascending into heaven, he he preached, repentance should be preached in Christ's name. That's Luke 24, 47. This is the call today. Today in Cedarville, Kansas, repenting of your sinfulness and believing the good news of Jesus Christ is the call. The call of Paul's day in Athens was repent of your sinfulness and believe Jesus. My friend Lucas, and here's the the deal. We could say, well, that's what them sinners need, Caleb. They need to repent and believe. Lucas Nettles, who was just here this last week and played guitar and sang for us, he once, he told me as we were having this conversation, I said, hey, can I quote you on this? He said, you betcha. Lucas Nettles um, said this, The beauty of the gospel is that it is good news for the lost and for the saints. Oftentimes we make the mistake of thinking only the lost need to hear the message of the gospel, but the saints need it as well. So you, you folks that are in the pews that are believers, you need the gospel. The preacher who's standing behind the sacred desk needs the gospel, Period. Psalms 95 verses 7 through 11 gives us what we should be doing. Listen to this. This is just jaw-dropping. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice and do not harden your heart as at Mirabah, as in the days of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test. But... And, and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed this generation and said, they are a people who have gone astray in their hearts and they have not known my words. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Listen, if you're here today, and there's conviction on any level. Like, listen, I need to repent. And you don't repent. And don't be the person that says, well, maybe next week. I'll, I'll come next week and do that next week. I'll come next time. Tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll do that. Tomorrow I'll make that happen. Um, had a dear friend of mine call me Friday, Jonathan, or Jonathan, Joshua Henderson. And he said, man, I just need you to pray for me. Um, we just got news that a school bus with a bunch of kids from a private Christian school just up the road from us um, were out. And they got creamed by a giant semi. Uh, multiple kids are dead. Multiple leaders are dead. And we're just 
Were those any of those people planning when they woke up that morning? Listen, I'm dying this afternoon in a car wreck. Were they? Well, not me. I'm not. Listen, somebody you all, some of y'all might die in the room, but not me. That's what we think, right? We think somebody else is going to die. But I'm telling you, there's coming a day when you're going to die. And don't be the person that says, man, next week I'll repent. Next week I'll, uh, next week I'll get right with the Lord. Today is the day you find God's mercy. If you refuse to repent, God just might have, like it said in the text, they didn't do it. So what did it, what did it say? Don't, do not harden your hearts as in the day of Mirabah, as in the day of Massah in the wilderness. When your fathers, they put me to the test and they put me to the proof. God just might have to call your bluff. That's what it says in the text. That's not Caleb's writing. That's Psalms 95. They put me to the test. And they, even though they, listen, some of you guys have had mercy and you've seen God move. You've seen God do amazing things. You're like, yeah, that's cool. I got a cousin down the street that could do the same thing. Mm -mm. You're, you're putting God to the test. And he's like, listen, I'll call your bluff if I need to. He can. Oh, no, God, God wouldn't do that. Yes, he would. Yeah, he would. If you refuse to repent, God just might have to prove himself. And I surely don't want it to be said of you and I that, man, I loathe that place. That's what he said. I loathe that generation. I do not want that said of First Baptist Church, Cedarville, Kansas. Oh, I loathe those people because they refuse to listen. They refuse to follow. They refuse to repent. I don't want it to be said of you and I that, that, that he loathed this generation and that we would not enter his rest. Here's the thing. God knows where you've sinned. You can't and won't hide anything from God. But we th we're so self-deceived. That's how self-deceiving sin is that we believe that we can hide it from God. Because nobody else knows, God doesn't know. Listen, God knows. God knew before the foundation of the world that you do what you did. That you followed after your own selfish lusts. He knew that. He's like, Listen, that's not, he's not shocked. He's like, oh my gosh, Really? Holy Spirit, you were supposed to hold him back. That's not, he's not shocked by your sin. He knew before the foundation of the world, you were going to mess up. And guess what? He still has provided a pathway for you to find forgiveness and repentance, or forgiveness through repentance and belief in the gospel. But what's silly is that you're so self-deceived in your own sin, you think, oh, not me, I'm good. I got this. Especially this young box, we think we got this thing handled up. Talk to somebody that's 80, 90 years old. They're, they're, on the, they're on the far end of this. Us young bucks, we think, oh, we're untouchable. How many of you guys thought when you were young you were untouchable? But you were touchable. God can break you sometimes. Listen, my hope is, listen, I, I promise you, you'll find rest when you just lay out your sin before the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry. Listen, you don't have to come to Caleb and be like, all right, Caleb, I need to lay it out. Don't come lay it out to me. I don't need to know. Lay it out to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's Because listen, Caleb Gordon can't forgive or absolve you of anything. Your pastor cannot absolve or forgive you. But Christ can. Amen? Christ can forgive you. My hope is today that God would call you from your comfortableness of living with your sin and in your sin. And that you would run from your sinfulness and follow and love him completely. Don't be like the majority of the people in Athens who heard the good news of Christ. Verse 32 tells us what they did. Listen to this. 
Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, man, we'll hear that another time. We'll hear about that another time. And that's the majority of people. Man, that's, man that, was, that was a good word. That was convicting. I'll check on that later. I'll come talk to you later on that, Pastor. Let's set up a meeting later. And listen, later never comes. I've been preaching for over a decade. I've had conversation after conversation with people who have conviction in the moment. I'll, I'll get with the pastor later on that. I'll get with you later on that, Pastor. And they never do. Don't be like the people of Athens who say, we'll hear you later about this. Listen, we're here we're here now. Don't be the person that says, listen, I'll hear that another day. I'll check that out another day. I'll come back another day. Instead, be like the rest of the group. That, there was a few in that group that said, verse 34, but some joined him and believed. Some joined and believed. Man, my hope is today that some of us in the room, we, we join and believe. That we join and believe this thing. You've been listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry of First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarvale, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarvale, Kansas 67024. God bless you.